Hello, this is Tim Convoy, the pastor of New Life Community Church located in Nashville, Indiana. I'd like to thank you for visiting our podcast, and I trust that God will just bless you and encourage you and speak to your heart as you listen to this message. Thank you again for joining us, and God bless you. All right, are we there? Acts 4. Let me bring us up to speed real quick. Day of Pentecost is chapter 2, chapter 3. Peter and John go to the temple. They meet a man who is crippled since birth. Scripture says that he was over 40 years old. And so he never in his life walked, never in his life stood, never in his life had the muscles built up in his legs, never in his life had uh, coordination to be able to, to walk, never in his life had balance to be able to stand erect, never in his life had any of these things. And yet when he meets Peter and John and asks for money, remember what they said, silver and gold, have I none? But such as I have, I give to you, right? He didn't say such as I can go get for you or such as I wish I had or something if I pray that I get it. He said, no, I have this. And what I have is in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk, right? So he said, I have it right now with me. I have the power to say to you that in his name, I have the authority to say as well, in his name, you can walk. Now that's, that's quite a statement. It's quite a belief system. A lot of times we believe we could get something or we could ask for something, but he's saying, I have it right now. And he offers it to this gentleman. And that's a great lesson for you and I. You and I, we have the riches of glory inside of us, right? We have the power of God inside of us, right? Don't make me read Ephesians chapter 1 to you. But in Christ, we have all the riches of glory. In Christ, we have all the power of His Spirit. In Christ, we have all the fullness of the riches and the grace of God. Amen? Amen. So I have this, and what I have, I give to you, is what he said. What a great lesson for us to say, you know what? You have it. Why do you keep asking for something you have? Now you say, Lord, help me to apply what I have, what I've been given. Help me to apply it to my life. Help me to offer it to others as well. So Peter and John do this, and they offer Jesus Christ to him. This man not only accepts it, but he stands up, has balance, has coordination, starts walking. And, and I mean, he was pumped, wasn't he? Remember this guy? What do, what, what do we call him? What do we name him? Leaping Larry, that's right, because we didn't know his name, so we just call him Leaping Larry. He's like, woohoo, man, praising God. And he had a great time in the temple in chapter 3, praising God. And then he hung out with Peter and John all night where? That's right, in jail. Well, you guys are right with me. You're right with me. I usually, nothing gets past me, Pastor. <laughs> they spent the whole night in jail. <laughs> It's like, man, this is great. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. Woo, he healed me. Man, I can leap it in jail. Where are we going? We're going to jail right now, Larry. <laughs> great, let's go. Yeah. I could see him in his jail cell, couldn't you? He's just over there doing an Irish jig. I mean, he's just pumped, man. God worked in my life. And he meets the Sanhedrin the next morning. And because it said Peter, John, and the crippled man was there. So they were all there, and they meet this court, and the court uh threatens them and says, by what authority? We didn't say you could do it. How come you're doing it, et cetera? You know how it went. And then they're like, man, we got a problem. 
We would love to do something to these guys, but because of this miracle with this man being healed, and they probably all looked over at him and he went, I am healed. Because of that, we can't do anything. So we'll threaten them. And they weren't idle threats, by the way. This is the same group that just had Jesus crucified a few weeks earlier. The same group that had him beaten. The same group that had him nailed to a cross. The same group that did everything they could to keep him in the grave, but they could do nothing to keep him in the grave. Amen? So this, this was not idle threats. This was not just, ah, don't pay attention to those guys. They can't do anything. No, they could do everything. They could do anything. They can follow through on these threats. So it's on the heels of that threat that they then are released in verse 23. And then they leave the presence of the Sanhedrin, and that's where we pick it up. Chapter 4, verse 23. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people, in other words, the group that was with them originally, and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. That's all the bad stuff, all the threats, all the warnings. So you realize they weren't the elders and the chief priests. They weren't saying, well, be filled and God bless you and have fun storm in a castle. They didn't say that. Everything that they conveyed was all the bad things that those guys just said. And right after hearing that, when they heard this, when, time reference, immediately, they heard this, they raised their voices together in, in prayer to God, or literally one accord. And they said, Sovereign Lord, or as other versions might put it, Lord, you are God. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by your Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father, David. And here's what he said through David centuries, centuries earlier in Psalms 2. Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did. Now, catch this verse. They did what your power and your will decided beforehand should happen. Now, they're still liable for what happened, right? Still culpable. They still did the best. But God says, you know what? I know if Jesus is going to be turned over to these guys, they're going to crucify him. They're, they're, they're not going to spare him. They're not going to just send him away with the warning. They, Jesus, or the Father, knew how evil they were, and yet the Father still turned Jesus over into their hands. He said, you knew this ahead of time. You said it centuries earlier through David. Now, Lord, consider. It means to place one's mind upon. Consider their threats and enable or empower your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Not just boldness. Give us great boldness. Fire us up. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Do now what you did yesterday. Isn't that what they just did? Yesterday, the man just got healed, right? And he says, what got us into this mess is what we pray for. 
The same thing that put Peter and John in jail. We're praying, keep doing that, Lord. Work these miracles. And as they prayed, the place where they were meeting uh, was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God with boldness. Father, we just ask you'll help us, meet with us, move in us, move upon us, Lord. Remind us who we are in Christ. And Father, I ask that you will just preach through me. Help me to preach with power and authority, with conviction, balanced with compassion. Help me, Lord, to just preach your word, not to those here or over the internet, but help me to preach it to myself, Lord. Because these are issues I need to deal with as well as anyone else. And so, Lord, we pray for your presence to rest on us. We pray for your spirit to move through us. And we say, yes, Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Do your mighty work and do it as only you can. We sure love you, Lord. And we love you because you first loved us. So, Lord, we bless you and we thank you and we commit ourselves to you. Help us to focus in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. My wife's trying to teach me to say, we love you too, Lord, because she learned, you know, because the Lord loves us first before we loved him, right? So he first said, I love you. So we say, we love you too. Try that sometimes. It really changes your thinking. It's pretty wild. We love you too, Lord. And when you do that, it reminds you that he already said, hey, I love you, Tim. Thanks, Lord. I love you too. All right, that's not the sermon. When facing issues... Maybe your issue's up here. Maybe it's on the next page. Maybe it includes all the pages underneath. Maybe you have an issue where you say, you know, I've had a bad diagnosis lately. I'm going through relational issues. Or, you know, when we first started this message, the next day, Norm says, man, you know that car accident picture? Yeah. I had one the next day. Because so I was able to do what you told me the next day. I was like, yay, that's awesome. <laughs> Uh, so should I be happy for you, Norm? Because I'm happy that you learned the lesson. And now that's how I am. I have to preach it. I have to learn it. But the Lord's going to say, okay, Tim, your turn to uh, apply it. But all of us have issues. All of us have struggles. Maybe the loss of a job. Or matter of fact, many of these struggles affect this struggle, right? Financial seems to have tentacles that reach into every other issue as well. Well, when we look at this text, my message has been when facing an issue. How do we handle it? When we face a problem, we face an issue, how do we handle it? I mentioned the truth that the purest gold comes out of the hottest fire. The purest gold comes out of the hottest fire. To put it another way, some of the most amazing things come out of some of the most difficult times. In the midst of a difficult time, you're not expecting an amazing thing. You're not expecting purest gold out of a hot fire. Uh, When you're in the midst of it, you say, I'm in the fire right now. I'm going through some troubles right now. I'm going through some difficulties. I I can't even think of the amazing things that can come out of it. And by the way, we need to learn these lessons now before we're in the midst of it. Because oftentimes in the midst of it, our mind isn't connecting the dots. But if you get it now and you put it in your soul and you remind yourself and meditate on these truths, that when that time comes that you are in the midst of it, they bubble up to the surface and say, hey, I remember something I learned in Acts one time, chapter 4. These folks here, they had very real threats. Their life literally was on the line. They could be the next ones crucified. They could be the next ones put to death. 
They could be the next one stoned to death. You don't know what issue uh, they could possibly be facing, but this is a very real issue. So how did they handle it? Did they close up and say, wait a minute, I'm a new Christian. You know, our friend Leap and Larry, he could say, whoa, I've only been saved today. I don't want to be dealing with this. I don't want the heat down on me right now. I don't want to go through, you know what, I didn't sign up for this. I think I'm just going to slide off to the sidelines, and you guys just have your fun doing your thing. Did they collapse under the pressure? When the problems came, what happened? Did they shine, or did they sour as a Christian? I tell you, it's really the difficulties in life, the problems, the issues, the threats, the diagnosis. It's the issues in life that really show us what we're made of, isn't it? And I don't even always like what I see when I look at myself and say, wow, I'm supposed to be a warrior and I'm a wimp. I'm not supposed to be you know, more than a conqueror, and sometimes I feel like I'm conquered. Sometimes when I look at these issues and problems, I don't always come away feeling like I am pure gold coming out the other end. Sometimes I just, uh, well, you know what I'm feeling. You probably feel the same way too sometimes, don't you? These issues can knock us down. Well, when I look at these folks here, when they heard these things, I'm, only, I'm not going to recapitulate everything I said already on the first two points, but I will say the first thing they did was they prayed immediately. They prayed to me when they heard these things. A time reference. Soon as they got the, the diagnosis, soon as they heard the threats, soon as the problems surfaced, the first thing they did was say, Sovereign Lord. They started saying, Lord, you're God. I need to pray immediately. Because the moment a problem hits you, the moment an issue surfaces is the very moment the devil tries to get a foothold in that mind. Right? <laughs> And if he can get a foothold, man, the longer he's got my mind, the more he makes a mess of it, right? The longer he's got my emotions, the greater the fear starts to build. The longer he has a hold of me, the more trouble I find myself in. But immediately, if I take my eyes off of my issue, I put my eyes on the Lord, I say, wait a minute, Lord, it's not about this, it's about you. And, and you, you may not say, well, in the midst of the moment, I didn't have time to fold my hands or close my eyes and, you know, do all that. Listen, you can be praying even with your eyes open. Or if you prefer when you're driving, just close one, you know, never close both of them. But you know what I found? I've been praying while I've been talking to somebody before. Have you ever done that? In my head, I'm going, oh, Lord, you need to help me on this one. What in the world, you know? If you don't believe me, next time you get pulled over, try it. <laughs> and they say, where are you in such a hurry? Oh, nothing in your head. You go, dear Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Right? <laughs> we, we, we pray. And this is what their first thing had to, had to go right to prayer. Prayer had to be the first response, not the last resort, as some say. Right? First response, I better pray now and quick. And, and it may be a simple, quick little prayer, but you say, man, I've got to quickly get my mind off of this and get my mind on the Lord. First thing they did, they prayed immediately. The second thing they did was they adjusted their focus. They adjusted their focus. In other words, when the problem surfaced, they did not make the problem their focus. Remember these? Nice little pair of binoculars. 
You know what these do? They magnify. Very good. See, you know what it did. The more I focus on the problem, the more I start learning every detail of the problem, the more, next thing you know, I start really focusing in on the problem and magnifying. Oh, my goodness. And I'm looking at it, and it, all right, we'll just keep it to this. All right, I don't want to do this. If I was looking at this plant, I could share every detail of this plant, the colors, the, the width, the, the proportions. I could tell you all about this plant because now all of a sudden, man, my focus is so absorbed that I'm magnifying it in my mind. I didn't magnify That plant did not get any bigger than it was before I looked at it. All right? When I look at these problems, those problems that get any bigger... Until I start doing this, guess what happens? They start growing in my mind. And they get bigger in my mind. And they get magnified larger in my mind. And it looks, oh my goodness, look how big this problem is. That's why immediately we need to pray. And the quicker you take it to the Lord in prayer is the speed by which you can adjust your focus. Follow you on that? In other words, as soon as you get your mind off this and you start talking to the Lord about it, you start adjusting your focus off of that and say, oh, Lord, I need you. I need to look to you, Lord. And guess what this is doing, by the way? It's magnifying God in our mind and heart. doesn't make Jesus any bigger, right? And the Scripture says, magnify the Lord. Why? Because God wants to look really big? No, because He wants you and me to see every detail about Him. Are you with me? Magnifying God means you start seeing the details about Jesus. You start seeing things about Jesus that you don't see with the natural eye. When I look at the text here, they took it to the Lord immediately in prayer. And in so doing, they began to magnify not the problem, but magnified the issue. They magnified the Savior. They said, Lord, it's about you. It's not about my problems. It's not about my issues. It's not about my diagnosis. And the first thing they saw when they looked at God, they said, wow, you're sovereign. Matter of fact, I like the other translation. They say, Lord, you are God. Well, that's telling God something he didn't know, right? <laughs> and matter of fact, you think it's even telling them or yourself something that you don't already know? You know he's God. You know he's sovereign. But when we take our focus off our problem and we look at the Lord and say, no, Lord, you're the Lord. The Sanhedrin's threatening me, Lord, but you are the sovereign God of the universe. The Sanhedrin can take my life, but you are my God, Lord. I hit the tree with my car and it smashed, but you're still my God. Amen? This diagnosis is scaring me to death. But Lord, you're the sovereign God of the universe. You've got to, and I have to get our eyes off of the issues, off of the problems, and put our eyes onto Jesus and say back to him what he already knows, but it's not for his benefit. It's for our benefit. Lord, I need to know and be reminded that you are God. You are the sovereign Lord. The minute we have a problem should be the moment we, even in our mind, start reminding ourselves and telling ourselves, Lord, you're God. Lord, you are God. You are my God. And as that doctor's talking, you're still telling yourself, Lord, you're my God. 
you're going to get me through this. Because if not, those words that you're hearing or the sight that you're seeing or the feelings that you're feeling will pull you into a dark hole and pull you down to where you'll feel like you're just surrounded with darkness. You can't see anything. Why even travel down that hole? Why even travel into that darkness before you say, whoa, wait a minute, I'm not going there. I don't know about you, but I choose not to go there. I have plenty of things that would call me there. I have plenty of things that would beckon me. Come on down here into the dungeon and just sit a little while, Tim. Just think of these things a little while, Tim. Just look at how bad your problem is, Tim. There's a lot of things that would call me here. But I have to say, no, I've got to force myself to take my eyes off of my issue and proclaim, I mean say to it, Lord, you are my God. You are sovereign. There is nobody above you. This issue is not above you. Right? Your heartache is not above the Lord. He is sovereign over heartaches. Your your car accident is not above the Lord. Your addiction is not above the Lord. And by the way, we need to start relearning that fact right there. Because somehow we got thinking because of these addictions that the addiction somehow is stronger than the Holy Spirit of God. And friends, that's just not true. I don't care if it's crack. I don't care if it's meth. I don't care if it's heroin. Let me tell you something. Jesus Christ is stronger than any and every addiction. Every addiction. He is sovereign over those addictions. And there's plenty of other addictions other than drugs that I'm talking about as well. Proclaiming God's sovereignty over that addiction. Just because you're hooked on it doesn't mean he can't unhook you from it. Right? Anyone ever been fishing? Anyone ever caught a fish? A fish couldn't get himself off that hook. But the fisherman could get him off the hook, right? And he'd give him a kiss and throw him on his way, too, could he? He's sovereign. A fisherman can do what he wants with the fish, you know? You know the rest of the story, too. But sovereignty means God is in control. None of these things and things that aren't even up here are in control. God is. Is in control. They proclaim the Lord over their problem. Then they proclaim his word over their problem. I, I love verse, where is that, 26? You spoke through your, your Holy Spirit through your mouth of your servant, our father David. And here's what he said. And by the way, we're going to be in, you know what, why don't we just do it? I'm going to reference Psalm 2 because that's what he's quoting. Second Psalm. We, we love the first Psalm. You know, blessed man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, etc. But first one of chapter two, he'll ask a question and he'll say, why do the nations conspire or the heathen rage, whatever translation, and the people plot in vain. The kings of the earth take their stand. The rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed. Now, by the way, do you notice in this verses that they quoted, what did the text start with? What word? Why? Hmm. When these issues strike us, when problems come, what's the first question we ask? Why? Oh, Lord, why this? Why now? Why me? Couldn't you give it to Dave? (laughs) Couldn't you give it to somebody else? (laughs) 
Why is it got to land on me? Why? It's, it's amazing when problems hit us, we ask why. But the funny part is all the why questions center around us. Why is this happening to me? Why now? Why this? Why that price? You know, all why, why, why? When it's interesting, when they asked the why question, it wasn't about why us. Why is the Sanhedrin against us? Why are they threatening us? They say, Lord, why are they treating you this way? Yeah, it's, it's an amazing perspective here. Why do they do this to you? Man, what happened to our culture? What happened to our generation? How is it that the Lord so easily got out and we so easily stepped in? And now it's all, why me? We have become so meistic in our life, haven't we? We think everything's about me. The music's got to be about me. The scripture translation's got to be about me, the one I want, the one I like. The flag's got to be about me. You know, I had to adjust to these flags coming in. Why, you ask? Because there's a lot of yellow on this side and a lot of red on that side. And I said, huh. And I said, let it go, Tim. Let it go. Let it go. No one cares if the yellow's over there. No one cares if the red. How, how many others did that bother? Come on. Yeah, it's like. It will now? It will now. It says, there you go. What's that? It is coordinated. I know. That's what I said. They're perfect. Right where they need to be. And yes, Israeli's flag's a little lower than the American flag as it's supposed to be. You notice that too, of course. I had to ask. Hey, make sure we lower that a little. But in the millennial kingdom, this will be higher than all of them. Amen? Focus, Tim. So, they ask why. Why are they treating you this way? Why are they conspiring against you? By the way, the threats came to them, real people. But they say, this isn't about us. They're against you, Lord. I'm going to do what you call me to do. I'm not going to worry about their problem with you. That's their problem with you. As a matter of fact, what I found interesting in Psalm 2 is what the Lord thinks about what they were conspiring about. How did he feel about their conspiracy? How did he feel about their treatment of the Messiah? How did God feel about it? Well, verse 4 tells us. The one enthroned in heaven, what? Laughs. It's like, are you kidding me? You are going to come against me? Really? That makes me laugh. I mean, I love the fact that God laughs, don't you? It's awesome. Like he, he finds things humorous. But isn't it funny that what he finds humorous was their threats to him? And he said, this is how they're threatening you, Lord. And they're threatening our lives, but this is against you. And he goes, ha, those guys, don't worry about it. Here's a principle. When it comes to problems, don't believe what you think about your problem. Don't believe what you think about your problem. Believe what God thinks about your problem. You with you? What does God think about what's going on with these guys? 
That's their problem, the Sanhedrin. What does God think about it? He goes, Whoa, that makes me laugh. You don't, you don't think I'm upset about this. I can handle them. I'm not worried about them. I am the sovereign God of the universe. They're ants. They're nothing. I got it covered. It's, he goes, it's laughable. So what did God think about it? It's laughable. Don't think about your problem the way you think about your problem. That make sense? Think about your problem the way God thinks about your problem. God, what do you think about this problem? Oh, oh Lord, what do you think about this one? He says, you know, Tim, I know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. But Lord, this can't be good. He goes, Tim, this is what I think about it. I know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. But it can't be good, Lord. Tim, I know. You know what I mean? I want to think about it one way. This is really bad. Lord, how can you say it's good? In and of itself, it's not good, but all mixed together. He said, all things work together. This is a piece of the puzzle in the big mural of your life that I'm putting together. He says, and this piece is there, and I will fit it in place, and it will be part of this mural of your life, and you will see what I've done with your life if you trust me. But think my thoughts towards your issues. I know some are saying, oh, wait a minute. Isaiah says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are my ways your ways, saith the Lord. Right? Anyone thought? Anyone? How many had that going through their mind? Yeah. yeah, you probably were, but you don't have to raise your hand. Don't worry about it. <laughs> but you know what? We know his thoughts that he expresses to us. The word became flesh that we might see his thoughts. And he wrote it in the Word of God that we might read his thoughts. Right? We can't think his thoughts. We don't think of things that God thinks of. But we can read of things that God thinks of. Are you with me in this? Has it ever occurred to you that nothing has ever occurred to God? This is weird. But it's true. He's already thought it. He even said, Lord, you wrote about this centuries ago. And it happened according to your power and your will that you knew beforehand and you know what's going on in my life. He says, you, this did not take you by surprise. So I'm thinking your thoughts to this. And Lord, none of this took you by surprise. You know, you knew me before you ever made me. And you made me anyways. I love that thought. He says, but you know what? I was fearfully and wonderfully made. You knew the diagnosis that I was going to hear today before it was ever given. You know, some people say, man, I wish I could just see around the curve, see what's going to happen in, you know, in life down there. And <clears throat> No, you don't. You don't want to see what's going to happen in life any more than I would. I mean, we think we would. There was an old man. He was, well, he was in his 90s. I remember he said, like, Sonny, if God told me I'd die in a plane crash, I would never get out on a plane. He says, but you could be sure one would have landed on me. <laughs> uh, okay. There's a lot of wisdom in that, isn't there? And I thought, wow, that's pretty profound. If, I, if he said, you're going to die in a plane crash, I said, well, I'm never going to get on a plane. Like, that'll protect me, right? And yet, the plane would land on him, he'd say. I would have missed out on all that, is what he said. I would have missed out on the joy of flying and the speed of flying and the ability to do all these things. I would have missed out on all that because of my fear of something that wasn't going to happen the way I thought it was going to happen. 
He goes, so I don't need to know what's out there. This is a guy in his 90s, so I'm like, okay. You know, you're speaking from a point of wisdom and experience, right? And I, he knew what he's talking about. So when it comes to these issues, pray immediately. Begin to proclaim God's word over. Think what God thinks about your problems, not what you think about your problems. Because what you and I think about our problems are never good things, are they? <laughs> you don't think, this is an awesome problem, man. I'm so excited. Hey, John, how you doing today? Pump, man, let me tell you, I smashed my car today, and it was the best thing that ever happened. Well, somehow I could see that. Best thing that ever happened in that car. I had a Chevette one time, so I know. But we don't think that. We think, oh, no, my insurance is going to go up. Oh, no, what's my deductible? Oh, no, what's going to cost me? Oh, no, i got to get a tow truck. Oh, no, yeah, 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 yeah. Are you with me? Think God's thoughts. Proclaim God's word over it. This is what God says over it. He says, you are more than a conqueror through Christ that loves you. And if God be for you, who can be against you? Is that right? If God's standing next to you, he says, who can come at you? God's going to say, hey, I'll take care of this one, Tim. If God's before us, who could be against us? That's why he said, I'm persuaded that neither life nor death nor things present nor things that come nor, nor uh, principalities nor powers nor any other creature, I paraphrase it, shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God's for us, all these problems that are against us aren't against us because he stands in a way and he shields us. He helps us through those issues. He says, I'll take care of it. I know you need a new car. I didn't like that one. I don't know how many times I said, Lord, this Chevette is your car. That's the only reason I'm not pushing it into the Grand Canyon. I, I want to tell. But he, he took it. That car got hit. I, it was parked 20 feet off the road and someone smashed into it. I went through three fenders, four windshields. I forget how many hoods. And it kept going. I'm like, Bruh. Take it home, Lord. Okay, we'll get it in Chevette. <laughs> they proclaimed the word over it. And then they reminded themselves of God's power. You know, if you were threatened by somebody who could take your life, like these guys, the Sanhedrin, if things looked really scary and threatening, and your mind were to jump into Scripture, who would you think about? What would you think about? Now, I don't know about you, but if I was in a threatening situation like they were, my mind would have gone like a David and Goliath, you know? Goliath's up there threatening all Israel, and everybody's afraid to stand up except David, and goes up and takes care of him. So I would have thought of David and Goliath. I would have thought of maybe the, the three Hebrew children. Remember, they were thrown in the fiery furnace. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I had to do my little formula. How do I remember? Shake the bed, make the bed, and to bed we go. That's how I remember. Shake the bed, make the bed, to bed we go. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. That's how I remember. I would have thought of them. Oh, Nebuchadnezzar is threatening them, and he threw them in the fiery furnace, and they made it out. Another threatening situation. Wow, Daniel's praying. He's not supposed to pray, Nebuchadnezzar said. He threatened to throw you in the lion's den, and he threw him in the lion's den. Those would be the scriptures that would come to my mind under such threats. Would you kind of be like that? I would, because they're similar. Say, so, yeah, this is kind of like mine. You know what came to their mind, the first scripture that came to their mind? Lord, you created the heavens and the earth 
and everything that's in the sea and all the creatures of the earth. Lord, you created everything. The first thing that came to their mind was not an Old Testament story of someone who was threatened. first thing that came to their mind was creation. And I look and say, creation? Why, what, where does creation fit in this? Why would you think about creation? And I'm like, Lord, why do they? Because they're under the power of the Holy Spirit when they're praying there. Why, why creation? And here's another principle. When faced with a problem... Comparing your problem to someone else's problem does not solve your problem. I don't know if you ever knew that. Comparing your problem to someone else's problem does not solve your problem. You know why? Because the problem has no power to fix the problem. There's no power in the problem. With all good intentions and with loving hearts, oftentimes we will have a friend or a loved one and something happens, bad happens. Car accident, diagnosis, whatever it is. And somehow the first instinct is to do the same thing they do to us, is to tell them about somebody else that had that same problem. Right? Sometimes we get encouragement out of that. It's encouraging. And it can be encouraging. But there's no power in the problem to fix the person's problem. Here's the problem with the problem, since you're wondering about problems. The problem with the problem is the problem is enormous if it's your problem. If it's not your problem, yeah, it's there, but it's not enormous. It could be the same problem. Someone could come up to me and tell me about their Aunt Tilly, that whatever happened to her, the same thing, oh, that's just like my Aunt Tilly. Oh, oh okay. And what happened to her? Oh, she passed away. Oh, great. Okay. <laughs> Or, oh, you know, she got healed. Oh, okay, great, nice, that's awesome. But here's the problem. Aunt Tilly's problem in my mind, the same problem, maybe even less than Aunt Tilly's, that's in my mind, my problem is huge. Because it's my problem. (laughs) Their problem's not my problem. Are you with me on this? Your problem. Is huge, it's enormous because it's your problem. It's not the other person's problem. You're going to say, Lord, just give it to Dave. Poor Dave, I'm picking on him today. Let it be his problem. Then it won't be my problem anymore. But you know what? Dave's got his own problem. Every one of us have our own problems and our own issues, don't we? Right? This is one of the this is one of the dangers that I'm trying to avoid as I age. I lived in Florida for 20-some years, pastor in a church. Here's how a conversation can go sometimes in Florida. Oh, I'm getting that arthritis in my elbow. Your elbow? I've had it in my elbow and my shoulder. Your elbow, your shoulder. I just had an operation just the other day right over here. And, oh, your operation? Wow, I had my gallbladder out. Well, I had, and you know what? This goes on and on and on. And there's one ache and pain after another aches and pain after I'm like... So, how's the weather doing today? Yeah. Listen, the older we get, and I, I find myself doing it. As soon as someone tells me about their problems, well, yeah, let me tell you about my knee. Right? As soon as someone tells you about their problem, you want to tell them about your problem. Why? Because your problem is a lot bigger than their problem because it's your problem. Right? I know. You say, 
I know you caught yourself going, wow, I just was doing that the other day with somebody. I still catch myself doing it, too. So I say, oh, man, my neck, my shoulder. Oh, yeah, mine was really bad, and my back was really bad. And Don't go down that road, okay? If you go to Florida to help those who are going down that road, focus on something else. The problem is enormous, and a person's relating their problem to your problem doesn't help your problem because there's no power in the problem. There's power in creation. You know that? <laughs> All we see around us has power in it. You go out there and cut some wood and burn it, it, it emits power, doesn't it? There's power in creation. The first thing that they thought about is something that's as huge as the universe, the one sentence. And he says, this universe is huge, Lord, and you made the enormity of this universe. And the problem with comparing a problem to a problem is my problem doesn't shrink in comparison because my problem is always bigger than your problem. But when I compare my problem to the power of God, that which was enormous to me is now minuscule in comparison to what God can do. It's minuscule. The problem is our problem needs to shrink it needs to get smaller. And comparison never gets our problem smaller. If anything, sometimes it causes us to make our problem bigger because it accentuates it in our mind. You know, it's kind of funny. When we say this sometimes, tell someone about somebody else's problem, it's their issue, sometimes we say this line. I don't mean to minimize your problem, right? I don't mean to minimize your, what you're going through. So you want to say, what do you mean? Do you mean to maximize it? Are you trying to make my problem bigger? Because you said you don't want to minimize it. Let me tell you something about God. God wants to minimize our problems. He wants our problems to shrink in our eyes. They may not shrink in reality. They're still going to, you're still a broken car, but you don't have to focus on it. You focus on Him. And He shrinks our problem because they look at the enormity of the universe. I did that. I made that. Look at the complexity of humanity and creatures and living things. I did that. If I can handle the enormity of the universe, I can handle your problem, which seems so enormous to you. If I can handle the complexity of creation, I can handle the complexity of your problem, even though you think it's so complex, there's no answer to it. Even you think it's so far gone, there's no hope there. Let me tell you something. When God starts to minimize our problems and maximize his power, when that starts happening in our life, hope starts returning to our heart. Because without the power of God to intervene in our issues, what hope is there? How do the lost ever get through this stuff? You ever wonder that? How do they get through the issues that they have when they have such an opportunity to have someone come and take care of them, and help them, and love them, and get them through it. Praise God that we're saved. Amen? Praise God. Let me wrap it up, which means absolutely nothing. (laughs) You know what else I learned? (laughs) I'm serious what I just said. No, it's you. You know what else I learned? It's something that really has transformed my heart when I looked at this. He said, Lord, you know, they, they conspired against you and Herod and Pilate and Gentiles and the people of Israel. And he says, and you knew it. You knew it ahead of time. 
And then he says, now. They said, now. Now is a time reference. And, and it's a shift. We're talking about what they said and what they're doing. Now. Here's their prayer. Here's their request. Now, consider their threats. It means to put your mind on it. Now, did God already say he's going to do that? He did, right? In Psalm 2. He goes, oh yeah, I'm thinking about those guys. Don't worry. I got it. I'll take care of them. Consider their threats. Think about that. But, he says, enable your servants to speak your word boldly. You know how you get through these issues? You know how you get through the problems? You ask for change. And I don't mean coins. Change. Lord, I'm praying for change. I'm not praying that you change their hearts. I'm not praying that you change uh, their situations, that you change their attitudes. It says, I'm not praying, Lord, that you change them. I'm praying that you change me. Now, think of this. These guys are, I mean, they are so into God right now, right? I mean, how do you, man, they're loving the Lord. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. The the devil's threatening them, and all these things are coming against them, and they start to pray, and they say, Lord, pray or change me. Now, if I were counseling them on how to handle problems, I'd say, you? You got your act together. You're doing great, man. Look at you. Man, the things you're saying are so good, God's putting them in the Word of God. It's kind of wild, huh? You wrote down your prayer in the Word of God. I don't know how much closer you can be. I don't know how much better you can be as a Christian. You don't have the problem. You, those guys got the problem. So why are you asking God to change you? Because oftentimes in the midst of the problem, I'm the one that needs to change. God knows about that. God can deal with the problem. I say, well, Lord, right here, you need to change me. You need to change my attitude towards that Sanhedrin. You need to change my behavior. You need to change my, and I hate to say the word, timidity, and give me boldness. Whoever came up with a word like timidity, it's almost like using a name in vain. It's called Davidity or something. You need to change me. They say, because in and of myself, I'd shrink back. But I need you to fire me up. Tell them I'm busy. They go, I need you to send me forth. I need you to do a work here. Listen, he said, we need change, but I'm not praying about them. I'm praying about me. You're struggling in your relationships. Your husband and wife, you're you're struggling. You know, maybe it's time to stop praying that God changed your husband and start praying God changes you. Husbands, maybe it's time to God stop praying that God to change your wife and start praying that God to change you. Stop praying against your boss and start praying for you. Stop praying against all the problems of our society and the unemployment rate and all that. Start praying, Lord, change me to trust you that you have a job for me, that you'll fix my car, that you'll mend these relationships. Change my attitude, and Lord, if you could change me, then... I'll be all right going through the problem. Yeah. If, if the husband said, Lord, change me, and the wife said, Lord, change me, and the Lord went in and changed them both, that sounds like it'd be pretty good, huh? But whenever there's a problem, it's always change the other person. And the Lord said, no, how about right here? Remember when I was doing construction, I may have told you a story. I had a boss, and boy, he was mean. 
And I get home from work, and I'd be like, oh, oh man, I get so wound up with this guy. I wanted to make a voodoo doll, you know? I didn't believe in voodoo dolls, but I wanted to, you know, it's, it's like when you go through life, and, and you feel like you got a stick in your hand, and everyone's a pinata, you know what I mean? Like, that's how I was feeling. Just like, ugh. Because this guy would get me, he'd call me, he didn't even know I had a first name. He'd always call me Cowboy. Cowboy! I come running, he'd yell at me, where are the two by fours? I told you to have them up here. Blah, blah, blah. Whatever. And then he'd say, go down to the truck and get a pry bar. I go down in the panel van, big truck. I'm looking through all the shit. I can't find a pry bar. And I, I called him Colonel because he was out of the military. Colonel, what? It's not in here. I can't find it. Then he had this line. If it was candy, you'd find it. <laughs> okay. So you're right there. <laughs> so that's the truth. You know how things happen this morning? I'm getting ready, and I'm looking for my binoculars. And I said, honey, you see my binoculars? I had them in the living room where they belong. And I don't know where they are. She goes, you look, look on your nightstand. No, let me go and look. <laughs> nope, they're not there. I don't know what I do with those things. And she goes, they're not on your nightstand. Nope. She was down in the bedroom. They're not on your nightstand? About the third time she asked me, I go, maybe I better recheck my nightstand. <laughs> well, I didn't know they were going to be behind my clock on my nightstand. Right? <laughs> okay, did you just put those there? Yeah, there they were. She, next time, put a little piece of candy with it. We'd find it. We'd find it. That's how I'd find it. But when I started praying for Colonel, I said, Lord, you got to do something in here. Because I get so mad at this guy. I want to wring his neck in love as a Christian. And he changed me. I wasn't the problem. He was the problem. But he changed me. And, and I went and I said, and when I was talking to the Lord, he was telling me, he says, you know, maybe Warren's just venting. Maybe he's frustrated and mad about stuff. He just, he trusts you to dump it on. Now, I'm not saying anyone should put up with verbal abuse. But when I saw Colonel the next day, I said to him, I said, Colonel, I got good news for you. He said, what's that? I had the ministry of abuse. So the next time you want, yes, I do. Next time you want to yell at somebody, you call me. Next time you get mad, you just call out my name. And I know wherever I am, I'll come running. Yes, I will. You see, no, but I did. I tell him, I'll come. And so he put it to the test. He goes, come on. I come running. Yes, Colonel. Where's the delivery truck? I should have been here a half an hour ago. I don't know. Thanks for calling. And then I go back. And he, for two weeks, he just, rah, 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 rah. And, and then I saw his wife, Natalie, and she said, I don't know what you've done to my husband, but he comes home, like, happy now. He's like this happy-go-lucky guy. I go, it's my new ministry. <laughs> and, uh, and I tell you, I, I kid you not, I really, it so changed me that I didn't care. Now, before I argue back, you, what do you get off calling me now? What do you go off telling me if it was a snake, it would have bit me, you know? That's what you tell me that stuff when I'm looking for tools. If it's snake, it bit you. It's right there. Yeah, whatever. But God changed me. The problem still existed for two weeks. It was funny. Like, at that two weeks, it was, God, boy, never mind. It wasn't fun anymore. <laughs> you know, it was like, change me. 
Next time you face a problem, maybe you have to say, Lord, change me. And as I close, the problem with the problem is sometimes it distracts us from what we're supposed to be focusing on. How amazing that they went through these threats. And they said, Lord, change us. Help me be more bold. And stretch forth your hand and do miracles and wonders through the name of your servant, Jesus Christ, the anointed one. Do in our life what got us here in the first place. Do what caused the threats to surface. Keep doing it. You see, we just saw a man healed yesterday who'd been lame for 40 years. We got a taste of your power. We got a taste of your might. We got a taste of your healing. We got a taste of who you are. And we want more of that. The problems surface, the issues come to get us all wrapped up with the problem and we forget what we're here for in the first place. It's not about the problem, people. It's not about the issues. It's always about the Lord Jesus Christ. And if the problem can get us all wrapped up and wringing our hands and fretting over it and losing sleep and worrying about it, then the devil's got us right where he wants us. But if that problem says, oh, yep, it's a problem. Hey, Lord, I got a problem down here. Oh, yes, this is your life. You bought it with a price, right? I need your intervention. Change me. Start here, Lord. Consider what's going on. And I know you got it. He said, but it's not about the problem. It's about the pursuit. It's about chasing you. That's why it's his passions are pursuit. Chase after what God chases after. Chase after Christ. Make the things that are passionate, he's passionate about, passionate about in your life. Don't let the problems become your passion. They'll sap you of your passion. Say, Lord, I'm chasing you. So, I guess I ask, what's the problem? What's the problem? Do you have one? I don't mean to minimize it. But if you maximize the Lord, the problem will minimize. Right? Stay on track. Don't get distracted. Don't get diverted. Don't get down those rabbit trails. Stay the course. God's got great plans in your life. And the plans are to prosper you, to help you, to heal you, to minister to you, to do things, man, you couldn't even dream about. He's awesome, isn't he? He really is. Man, he's awesome. Don't get me going. But he wants to do it in your life. Fathers, we come before you. Right now, many, if not most, if not all of us have issues. Some kind of issue, family-related, personal-related, finance-related, business-related, work-related. It can go on. Health-related. But Lord, help us not to make the problem the focus. Help us make you the focus. Help us to get our eyes quickly onto you. Help us to pray as our our first response and not our last resort. Help us, Lord God, to, to focus on who you are and proclaim you over our problems and proclaim your word over our problems and proclaim your power over our problems. Help us to proclaim these things in our lives. And while we're proclaiming it, Lord, will you change us? Will you change us? Will you change me, Lord? Will you give me boldness that I need? Will you give me a spirit of 
of joy and peace and long-suffering. Will you give me a heart of patience, Lord? Would you make me the man you want me to be? May each of us pray that for ourselves, Lord. Will you help us keep the main thing the main thing? We love you, Lord Jesus. Protect us from our problems by protecting us from ourselves. We bless you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. As the music plays, maybe God's speaking to your heart. Our ministry team's coming. There's elders here. They'll be glad to come. You need prayer. You need God to just speak to you. There's an issue that just seems enormous to you. God wants to minimize it. You come. You come. Let us pray for you.